We're in Jeremiah chapter 7. If you're there, say amen. amen. Well, you don't sound very excited about it. All right. All right, let's try that again. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right, now you're a little bit more excited. Now, it is a very intimidating message that we have in Jeremiah 7 today, uh, but it goes along with our theme for this year. At the beginning of this year, we discovered that one of the things God has called us to do as a church this year is to go forward. And as we continue on with the thought on that theme today, uh, of course, we think about so many references in the scripture where God calls us to go forward. I think of Philippians 3.14, where the Bible says, I press toward the mark, toward the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And here's what I want you to understand, as we've been laboring to emphasize this from the beginning of the year. God never calls us to retreat in fear. He always calls us to go forward by faith. And in so many ways, we need to make this decision to go forward this year. But as we turn to Jeremiah chapter 7, we find a very interesting message that is given from one of God's prophets to God's people, Israel. As you look at the history of Israel, one of the things we discover is, uh, one of the things we discovered that they struggled with was a tendency to go backward and not go forward. Earlier this year, we looked at Exodus 14 when the people of Israel stood at the banks of the Red Sea with the Egyptian army behind them and two mountainous ranges on the side of them. And God looked at the people when they didn't know what to do and he, and he told them, go forward. Tell the people to go forward. And they marched right through those, the, the waters of the Red Sea. God parted the waters, they marched right through. But as they entered in on the other side of the Red Sea, God's intention was to continue to lead them forward right into the promised land, right into the place of his blessing. But time and time again, instead of going forward, they went backward because of their fear and their flesh and their struggles. When they went in to the wilderness on their way to the promised land and there was no food, they waved their finger at God and said, we're going back to Egypt. A little bit later, when they went a little bit farther down their journey and there was nothing to drink, they again turned their attention to God and to Moses and said, why did we ever leave Egypt? We should go back. It seems like when there was any struggle, any enemy, any opposition that came against them, their tendency was to want to go back and not to go forward. And that's a difficult situation that they found themselves in. And this cycle of going backward and not going forward was something that continued throughout their history. In fact, 800 years later, after the encounter at the Red Sea, when God told them to go forward, we find the people of Israel were still struggling with it. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah chapter number 7, in verse number 21, now mind you, before I read this, Jeremiah was God's prophet appointed by God to stand and rebuke Israel for this sinful tendency that they had to backslide. And in a term, that's what we could call what we're talking about today. Backsliding. And here's, what, here's the message that God gave them in summary, starting in verse number 21. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, put your burnt offerings unto your sacrifices and eat flesh. For I spake not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. 
And walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. But they hearkened not, nor inclined their ear, but walked in the counsels and in the imagination of their evil heart. And let's read this phrase out loud together. And went backward and not forward. What a sad, sad indictment God had to give about Israel. From the day they came out of Egypt to that time, God said their tendency had been to go backward and not to go forward. And I propose to you this. As God's people today, we still have this sinful tendency to go backward and not to go forward. We often call it taking one step forward and two steps back. And that's what we struggle with. I heard a story about little Johnny. Little Johnny showed up late to school one day and naturally his teacher wondered why. And little Johnny told his teacher, well, it's snowing so hard outside that every time I took one step forward, I fell two steps back. And his teacher was trying to connect with the situation, but she was a little confused. She said, if that's the case, then how did you get to school today? And he said, well, I got tired of it and I tried to go home. Now, some of you blonde hair, you'll get that tomorrow at some point, okay? Here's the thing. It might have worked for little Johnny. I just lost all the blonde people in here, okay? It might have worked for little Johnny to go forward by going backward, but it never works in any other context. And here's what I want you to understand. Whenever you make the decision to go backward, you will continue down a path to your own ruin. Backsliding never happens to the benefit of any person who goes through it. And our trouble is that we have a natural bent in our heart to want to go backwards. To want to go in the, non, the, the wrong direction. Uh, Psalm chapter 53, I'm sorry, Psalm chapter 58 and verse 3 tells us that the wicked are estranged from the womb. See, the Bible tells us that we're all born with a sin nature. From the time that we're little children, we don't have to be taught how to do wrong. We just know how to do wrong because we have a natural bent toward sinful things. And this reality works against us. Sin works much like a current in a river. It's ever pulling us in the wrong direction. Ever pulling us in its sway. And so here's the thing. Don't miss the illustration. When it comes to backsliding, backsliding, all that's required for you to backslide is for you to begin to allow yourself to drift in the current. Now, I, I've often said that drifting is probably the most easy and joyful way to get lost. Because to drift, all you need to do is sit there and do nothing. And uh, I remember being in the ocean and uh, uh, being uh, uh, rafting down the river many times in my life and getting way farther down than I thought or way farther out than I thought I was getting simply because the current was carrying me. And all you have to do to drift spiritually is nothing. And so here's what I say to you. If you are not intentionally going forward in your faith, then you, my friend, are backsliding very steadily. Because all that's required for you to do is nothing to backslide. And for many of us, that's exactly where we're at spiritually. In a place of nothing. And we think, eh, it's not too bad. 
but it's a whole lot worse than we think. And that's exactly what this message that Jeremiah gave to the people of Israel was all about. And so I ask you a question this morning. Is it possible that you are going backward and not forward in your faith? Is it possible? I think that it's possible for all of us. And if you would allow the Holy Spirit of God, He wants to do an examination of your heart today to help you understand the direction that you are really heading in. Because you can fool everyone else. You can fool yourself, but you can't fool God. He knows where your heart is. And so in this message that God's prophet gave to His backslidden people of Judah, we discover three ways that God calls you and I to go forward and not backward. And let's pray as we get ready to dig into it. Father, we, we come before you this morning and we're grateful for the work that you've already done in our hearts. I pray that you would do it again and even more so. And Lord, for those in here, whether they have realized it or not, they are backsliding or they are backslidden. I pray today that you would make it clear to them and give them the faith and the humility to listen to you and to respond in humble repentance. If there be one here that doesn't know you as Savior, Lord, I pray that you would help them to understand the gospel today and come trust you as their Savior. Holy Spirit of God, I just pray that you would have free reign in this room. In these moments that we share together, give me wisdom to say only what you once said and nothing more and nothing less. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Three ways God calls you to go forward and not backward. Number one, I want you to notice that God gives you a call to amend. A call to amend. Now, Jeremiah was a prophet who lived during a time of major moral decline in the nation of Judah. The nation of Israel had been one nation, but uh, uh, over a hundred years before this all took place, the nation had split it. There was the northern nation of Israel and the southern nation of Judah. And already their sister nation in Israel, because of their sinfulness, God had allowed them to be conquered and captured and carried away by the Assyrian Empire. Now, several years later, the kingdom of Judah was on a fast track in the same direction because of their sinful depravity. There was a moral degradation happening in the nation of Judah. And God raised up his prophet Jeremiah to be the one to declare that they were headed in the wrong direction. And if nothing changed, judgment was coming to the nation of Judah. And so this is one of the messages that God moved Jeremiah to preach to the people of Judah during this time of moral decline. And as we look at verse number one, the Bible tells us this. It says, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, stand in the gate of the Lord's house. That's the temple. And pro proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord. All ye of Judah that enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Now, interestingly, Matthew Henry observed something that I would not have noticed. He observed that He's calling all the men of Judah to hear this word from the Lord because it was very likely that during this time when Jeremiah was moved of God to preach this message, it was one of the three annual feasts in the kingdom of Judah. When all the men in the nation were called to come to the temple and offer sacrifices on the part of their family. So if you can imagine the temple's full there's all kinds of people coming together when Jeremiah is moved of God to stand and declare, thus saith the Lord. And here's the message, verse number three. It say, he says, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. 
amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. The pathway forward for the people of God started with them amending their ways. In verse 3, that's the first proclamation Jeremiah gave. He stood in front of all those people and he said, God wants you to amend your ways. Now, amend. It's not a word that we use a whole lot today. The word amend, it comes from the Hebrew word riyatab. And it literally means to make something good or to make something right. The implication of the word is, as Jeremiah declared this word to Israel or to, to the men of Judah, the implication of what he was telling them is that there were some things that weren't right in their lives. Some things that they needed to get right in their lives. And I say to you this morning that to go forward and not backward, you'll first need to get some things right in your life. And I am not going to stand up here and try to speak specifically of things that we struggle with because the Holy Spirit of God is the best agent of that. But as we study the scripture, we begin to see some of the things that the people of Judah struggled with and their things that we struggle with too. So notice several things that God called them to amend. First off, I want you to write down that he, called, he calls you to amend your path. To amend your path. Look at verse number 3. In verse number 3, he says to them, amend your ways. That word ways is a word that speaks of their pathway or the, the route that they were traveling. The point is this. As Jeremiah stands in front of the people, he's declaring to them a message and essentially telling them, you are not headed in the right direction. They were not going the way that God wanted them to go. Now, I've often said that one of the gifts that God has not given to me is a natural, uh, the natural ability to navigate well. I, I can get lost in Cortez, and that's saying something, okay? I, and so I have never done really well with that. My wife has helped me a lot when we travel places. But I'll say this, it is so easy to make a wrong turn and start going in the wrong direction. And you can travel a long way before you realize it. I've done it many times, let me tell you. Spiritually speaking, it's the same thing. You may have walked in here and thought, well, my life's good, Pastor. My life's good. But it very well may be that God's Holy Spirit will speak to your heart and say, no, it's not. You're not going the right way. And you need to understand it. The first area that God called them to make right was the direction that they were traveling in. See, in the previous chapter, in Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16, this is what Jeremiah told him. Thus saith the Lord, stand you in the way and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein and you shall find rest for your souls. Here's what God told Judah to do. He told those people, stand on the path that you are traveling on and recognize you're not going the right direction. And then ask for the old path. Where was the good way? In other words, you've got to come to a place in your life when you realize, I'm not going the way God wants me to go. I need to go back the way He's told me to go. That's where going forward starts. With you making the admission, I'm not going forward right now. So He says, amend your path. Here's the second area He asked them to amend. He says, amend your perspective. Amend your perspective. Look at verse number 4. He says in verse 4, oh, this is good, don't miss this. He says, trust you not in lying words or falsehoods, right? Saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Here's what the people of Judah had done. 
They had allowed themselves to believe a religious lie. And here was the lie. They talked about the temple of the Lord here. Here is the religious lie they believed. They believed that as long as the temple was still standing, and as long as they went to the temple every once in a while to atone for all the wrong things that they'd been doing, that they would be fine. That judgment would not come. And they believed that if they did this, and as long as that temple was standing, that they would be okay. Here's what we do today. We think, well, as long as I go to church every once in a while, I'll feel better about myself, and God will bless me. We think the same exact kind of thing. We fall into the same trap, the religious lie. Let me tell you something, and this is important for us to understand. You can't earn God's favor. God's favor is something that is given to you. But if you're living in wickedness, and you know it, and you think that just because you come to a church every once in a while and you drop some, uh, drop some money offering plate or try to do good for somebody, that that's going to cover up all the wrong you've been doing, you've got something else coming to you. And I'll say, be, put it very frankly for you. You can choose your sin, but you cannot choose your consequences for your sin. Here's how the Lord puts it in Galatians chapter 6. He says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Listen, if you reap to your sinful flesh, you're going to sow the consequences of those kinds of choices. And if you, if you uh, reap to, or if you sow to uh, goodness and, and living for the Lord, you're going to reap the consequences for those kinds of choices. But you will reap what you sow. And so now the Lord was calling Judah and he's calling us to amend or make right our perspective Maybe you've convinced yourself you're okay with a religious lie. It's time to face the truth. Amend your perspective. Here's the third area he asked them to amend. He asks them to amend your practice. He asks you to amend your practice. Look at verse 3. In verse 3 he says, amend your ways and your what? Doings. Your doings. The, the implication of that word is your practices, your deeds. The, the idea is... They weren't doing things right, and they knew it. We don't have time to go there, but in verses 5 and 6, he mentions several of the things that the nation was struggling with. They were, uh, they were abusing and neglecting the, the poor and the, and the fatherless and the widows, and, and they were uh, wronging their neighbors, and most of all, they were neglecting and wronging God by worshiping false gods. And they were doing all of these things in the face of God, and they knew it wasn't right God says you need to acknowledge what you've been doing is wrong and be willing to make the decision to make those things right. Now, truth is, all of us can struggle with getting into doing things that we know God doesn't want us to do. I want to tell you something. You'll never start going forward again by ignoring those things. It's high time you acknowledge you aren't doing things right. And you need to get things right. With the Lord. High time. Well, we can fool ourselves so easy. Here's the next amendment he asked them to make. Not only amend your path and your perspective and your practice, but then he says you need to amend your presumption. Amend your presumption. Look at verse number 7, if you would. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. Verse number 7, he says, Then will I cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Here's the thing. The people of Judah had presumed the wrong thing. 
They had presumed that simply because they were God's chosen people that they were going to be blessed. Simply because they were Judah. Uh, how could God allow anything bad to happen to us? And they had presumed the wrong thing. But God makes very clear in his prophecy here that his blessing on them was contingent on their obedience to him. God was not going to reward them for wicked behavior. He was going to allow them to face judgment if that's the path that they continued to chose to go down. And I want you to listen to me very clearly on this. Be very careful about assuming that you'll always be okay. That everything's going to be alright just because I'm a Christian. There's no place in the Bible where we're promised that that will be so. In fact, for being a Christian, there are several places where it says that that will warrant persecution and difficulty and trials sometime for us. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean everything is always going to be alright for you. And just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that God will not allow you to face the consequences for your sinful choices while you walk this earth. Yes, our sins are forgiven. Yes, they're under the blood. Yes, we know we're going to heaven. But the truth is, if you're going to still live like the devil down here on earth, God will let you face the consequences for it while you're here. You reap what you sow. And we need to understand this fact. Because it's so easy to pull a wool of religion over our eyes and not acknowledge it. I thought about this this week. When we get saved, God becomes our father. You better believe God spanks his children when they get out of line. Now, some of you don't spank your children. I would advise it. The Bible actually commends it. It's a great way to turn your kids back in the ways of the Lord. You say, that's child abuse. Uh, no, it's not. It's actually scriptural if you do it the right way. Uh, but I better get off of that. Some of you, get, some of you all are going to get mad at me. But I'll say this. God does spank his kids. You say, how do you know that? Look in your notes. Hebrews 12 and verse number 6. It says, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens or disciplines. And he scourges or whips every son whom he receives. Listen, if you don't get discipline from the Lord, then you're not one of his kids. God only disciplines his kids. But God disciplines his kids because he loves them. And let me tell you something. God loves you too much to let you keep going the wrong way to your own ruin. He does not want to let you go that way. So sometimes he allows difficulty, brings difficulty into your life to point you back in the right direction. Here's the point. In order to not go backward, to backslide and go forward, it's going to start with you heeding God's call to amend some things in your life, to acknowledge there's some things in your life that aren't right that need to be made right. Here's the second call that God gives. Not only a call to amend, but he gives us secondly a call to admit. A call to admit. See, there are some things that God needs for us to admit. The next several verses, in verses 8 down through verse 20, God used Jeremiah to expose some of the areas where the people of Judah needed to admit that they had gone wrong. And I'll say this to you. Before you can truly amend the things that aren't right in your life, you're first going to have to admit that there are some things that aren't right in your life. That's where it really needs to begin. Yes, God's calling you to amend some things, but first you need to admit some things that are wrong. And uh, as we study on in this passage of Scripture, we see several areas God tells us we need to admit our error. The first one I want you to write down is this. You need to admit your self-deception. Admit your self-deception. Now this is, this is a horrendous admission God reveals about the people of, of, of Judah here. Look at this in verse number 8. It says, Behold, 
You trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods whom you know not, and then come and stand before me in this house, in the temple, which is called by my name, and say, well, we are delivered to do all these abominations. You can almost see the hypocrisy reeking off of these people as God is addressing them for this very grievous issue. See, the people of Judah had convinced themselves that they could live however they wanted so long as every once in a while they came to the temple and offered a sacrifice. And everything would be okay. And God was making very clear how detestable and how unprofitable that kind of living really was. He's making very clear that this was not a path that was leading them forward. It was a path that was leading them backward. We have a tendency to travel down the same path. Too many people go backward spiritually and not forward because they think they can live however they want so long as they believe in Jesus. This is a common anthem in the grace awakening, as some people call it, that we are living in today. People abuse the grace of God. And use the, bra- the grace of God to excuse however they want to live their lives. I'm going to tell you something. The Bible makes very clear that the grace of God does not free us to sin. It frees us from sin. I am no longer a slave to sin. I don't have to sin anymore because Jesus Christ has saved me and changed my heart to desire the good things. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 1, the Bible says, What? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What does it say, church, after that? God forbid. forbid. How shall we that are dead to old sins live any longer therein? For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, and yet not I, but Christ lives in me. No longer have to I, have to, do I have to be bound by old sinful desires because the grace of Christ has transformed my heart. And here's the thing. When you truly experience what Jesus Christ has done for you in His grace on Calvary, it will not lead you to want to live a more licentious life, a more sinful life, but it will lead you to live a more holy life. That's what true spiritual growth looks like. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. The Bible tells us, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And it teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. We need to understand this truth because it's so easy to deceive ourselves. And I'll say it to you frankly. You are only fooling yourself. If you think that God has saved you, now you can go live however you want. That is not going to lead to a profitable place in your life. That is not going forward spiritually. That is going backwards and in a hurry. And I've sat with people in my office many times, and they've said something something like this to me. They say, Pastor, I just think that God wants me to be happy. I'll tell you, God does want you to be happy. But he knows you won't truly have the kind of happiness that you need pursuing sinful things. So I propose to you, God really doesn't want you to be happy so much as he wants you to be holy. Because that's the only way you can truly be happy. When you're living in his will and doing what he desires for you to do. Now we're having fun, aren't we? This is great. 
but we need to hear it. Admit your self-deception. Here's the next thing he wants you to admit. He wants you to admit your sinful deeds. Admit your sinful deeds. Look at verse 11. He asks a, a provoking question. God says, is this house which is called by my name become, become a den of robbers in your eyes? What a striking question. God essentially asks here, is, is my house become a place for those who steal from me to come together? Is this really a place for those who are defying me to come together and act like they're not doing what they're doing? Provoking question. It's a question that we should be willing to ask ourselves as well. Now, hundreds of years after this, Jesus himself quoted this verse. When he went to that same temple grounds and looked at what was happening and overturned tables of people who were selling and trying to make profit of those who were coming to worship him. And he says, it is written that my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. You've made it a den of robbers. I sometimes wonder when God looks at our church today, when he sees this, uh, this group of his people gathering together, if he's not brought to the same conclusion, you come here and you're act like, acting like you're worshiping me and you're acting like you love me, but the truth is I know what's going on at home and I know what's going on in your life and you're robbing from me. You're robbing me of my glory. You're worshiping other things. You're looking at your phone even while you're sitting in a church service. You're more concerned about the sports of the game you're more concerned about the job tomorrow than you are about worshiping me you're stealing my tithe and you're giving it to other things your own selfish interests you're stealing my time and you're wasting it on other things you're not investing it into my kingdom and you're not investing it into your family and see God sees everything that's going on in our lives the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good we can't see what's really going on in each other's hearts. But notice what God said at the end of verse 11. He said, Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. God sees. You can't hide anything from God. You know what your best option is? Stop acting like there's not a problem. Because God already knows. And go ahead and admit it. So that you can move on from it. Old preacher told me once, when you mess up, fess up. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God wants you to admit some things. Admit your self-deception. Admit your sinful deeds. Oh, we're running out of time, but look at this next one. You need to admit your set destruction. Your set destruction. Very quickly, look at verse 12. It says, but go ye now unto my place, which was in where? Shiloh. Now, some of you are thinking about right now, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> Shiloh. Can you hurry up, preacher? All right? No, it's not that Shiloh, okay? Not that Shiloh. This is a different Shiloh. He says, uh, he says go, uh, go ye now unto my place, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did unto it for the wickedness of my people Israel. Now, God tells us to go back to the history of what happened in Shiloh. Let me give you a brief summary. When the people of Israel first entered into the promised land, the place where the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant were first set up, were first set up was in this city called Shiloh, in the inheritance of the people of Ephraim, part of the people of Israel. 
And they set up the tabernacle there. That was where the first prophet of Israel uh, was raised up as well. We know him as Samuel. And after the judges. And that was in this place called Shiloh. But here's what happened. The people of Israel began to live wickedly. In fact, they defied God so much that they moved from being a theocracy where God was in charge of the nation to where they demanded a monarchy and appointed a king over them named Saul. And Saul continued to lead the people of Israel in the wrong direction away from the Lord, so much so that God allowed the nation to be judged. And the Philistines overcame them. They destroyed the city of Shiloh. They stole the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God, and carried it back off to, to Gath, to the land of the Philistines. And that place called Shiloh, they thought nothing can overcome us so long as the Ark of the Covenant is here. It was destroyed because of the wickedness of the nation. Here's the application God gave to the people of Judah here. He said, you think because you have the temple in Jerusalem and the Ark of the Covenant's there, that nothing bad's going to happen to you? Go ahead and look back at what happened in Shiloh. Because that's going to happen here unless you change your ways. Here's the application for us today. You will not be the exception. You think, well... God wouldn't do that to me. You're wrong. There are consequences for sinful living. The truth is, if you backslide, the book of Proverbs says that the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. That's what's going to happen. Now, that's a principle that is universally true for anyone. You have a set destruction. Here's my recommendation. Instead of putting your head in the sand and acting like nothing bad is ever going to happen, why don't you go ahead and admit, if I keep going down this road, it's not going to end well for me or for anybody else. And ask God for mercy. Because we have a God who gives mercy. Who, who will not give us what we deserve if we're willing to seek Him for it. Thank God, now on this side of the blood of Christ, He shed His blood for us. The Bible says now we can come boldly into His throne of grace to find mercy and obtain grace to help in time of need. And if you're here and you acknowledge, I've been backsliding and I don't know where this is going to take me. If you're willing to get on your face before God and ask God to forgive you and to lead you in the right direction, He will show you mercy. God wants you to admit your set destruction. Here's the third thing he wants you, or fourth thing he wants you to admit. He wants you to admit your shameful dilemma. Your shameful dilemma. Look at verse 17. This breaks my heart. Look at this. Verse 17. Seest thou not what they do in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood and the fathers kindle the fire. And the women need their dough to make cakes to the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto other gods that they may provoke me to anger. Do they provoke me to anger, saith the Lord? Do they not provoke themselves to the confusion or the shame of their own faces? God called the people of Judah to take a hard look at themselves. To take a hard look at what they were actually doing. And here's the devastating thing. Entire households were being devastated by the choice that they had made to backslide. And God basically looks at them and you think, he says, you think this is just hurting me? It's not just hurting me, it's hurting you. Aren't you ashamed? Don't you see what's happening to your kids? Don't you see what's happening to your families? Don't you see what's happening to your nation? Aren't you ashamed? That's what he's asking the people of Judah. And I'll say that's what he's still asking us today. 
as we think about our backsliding, I want you to understand something very clearly. Backsliding does not just hurt you. It hurts your whole family. I've been pastoring long enough to experience the heartache of seeing this happening. Dad gets too busy at work. Dad gets caught up in his hobbies. And all of a sudden, it was important to walk with God every day. But boy, that falls first. For too long, boy, I, just, I, don't, I don't really need to go to church every Sunday. Just when I feel like it. Before long, he's not even there at all. But he's not alone. Oftentimes, little Junior and little Susie go along with him. Entire families get devastated. Because of a person's choice to backslide. See, one person wisely said that if you view church as optional, your children will view God as unnecessary. Sadly, some of you have lived that out. And you know it to be true. I'm talking to you who still have young ones at home. And I want you to understand something. Backsliding will not just hurt you. There will be a time in your life when you'll look back on your life and you'll regret the day that you chose to walk away from the Lord. I'll guarantee it. Say, Pastor, this is pretty heavy stuff. I know. But we need to hear it. God's calling us to amend some things. He's calling us to admit some things. But the final truth I want you to see is that God is calling us to take action. There is a call to action that God gives to us. Now, Patrick Morley keenly observed something that I thought was relevant to this discussion. He was talking about the integrity issue that is happening in the church today. He said that the integrity issue in the church is connected to a general misconception that most believers have. And here's what it is. He said the misconception that is that we can add Christ to our lives but not subtract sin. That we can have a change in our belief without having a change in our behavior. And this is what most of us want when we come to church. Tell me all the good things Jesus will do for me. Well, don't tell me anything that I need to do for Jesus. All right, That's not part of the deal. I want to hear all the good stuff. Don't talk about the bad stuff. Don't talk about sin. Don't talk about me needing to change my ways or change my life to follow the Lord. I just want to add a little Jesus to my life. Many of us view Jesus as a good luck charm that we carry around and we rub it any time that we need blessing. That's not how it works. Jesus said, if, you, if any man wants to come after me, let him deny himself, forsake all, and follow me. That's the kind of commitment Christ is asking for. And to put it in a statement, this is what I'm trying to say. There can be no true revival without repentance. You cannot experience a turning from the way that you've been going unless you're willing to repent, to admit the way you've been going is wrong, and turn back to the Lord. And the only pathway to true revival is through repentance. And so God is telling the people of Judah, and He's telling us today that we need to be willing to take some action. We know we're backsliding. Now we need to be willing to do something about it. And this is what God tells us to do. Two choices He calls us to make and will be done. The first one is this. You need to choose to be genuine. Choose to be genuine. Look at verse 21 with me. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. All right, Shiloh's is almost here. Don't worry. All right, I already picked the place some of you are going to go. I don't even know if it's open today. But anyways, verse 21. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, 
Put your burnt offerings unto your sacrifices and eat flesh. For I spake not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. This is what God was essentially telling the people of Judah. You all come in here to offer these sacrifices. Just keep them. It would be better for you. Don't try to offer them to me and continue on in your sinful ways. He said, just keep them for yourself. You eat them. I don't want them. Because God knew these people were coming and offering these sacrifices and feigning worship to Him and fully intending to go back to their homes and live exactly in the sinful way that they had always been living. And God says, I don't want them. All right? when I, in fact, He goes so far as to say, when I first brought you out of Egypt, I didn't even ask for sacrifices. That's not what God is concerned about. In 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22, he puts it a different way. He says, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And here's the application for us. Don't miss this. God would rather you be real than you be religious. He is not interested in our phony religion. Coming in here, putting on a face of good Christianity. You can fool everybody else, but you cannot fool God. He knows where your heart is today. By the way, so many of us are caught up in half-on, half-off Christianity. You read Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. He talked to the Laodicean church, and he said, You're neither cold nor hot. You're lukewarm. And so because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth lukewarm Christianity half in half out Christianity is disgusting to God he would rather you be real with where you're actually at in order for us to truly be able to go forward it's going to start with us being real before God so easy to walk in here every week and shake hands and Act like we've got everything together and put on a face of religion and think that we're okay. And all the while, we're just drifting farther and farther away from the Lord. So easy. You need to make the choice to be genuine. Number two, you need to make the choice to be governable. Moldable. Movable. In other words, to be obedient to the Lord. Look at the next, uh, next verse, verse number 23. Here's what the Lord said. But this thing commanded I them, saying, read the next three words with me. Obey my voice. You know, from the beginning, all that God really wanted was for was his people to be obedient to him. That word obey is the Hebrew word shema. And we don't, we don't say the word the same way. Uh, our English vernacular doesn't carry the full weight of that word. The word, Hebrew word Shema is a word that is most of the time translated as hear. In this place, it's translated as obey because it means the same thing. When a Hebrew says Shema, it means to heed or to hear and to heed what someone says. Here's what we struggle with, like Israel did. We struggle with really hearing and heeding what God tells us to do. It's like when I was a kid. My mom, if she wanted me to do something, she'd come and say, Hey, Bruce, I need you to take out the trash. And I'd acknowledge her and keep doing whatever I was doing. I was hearing her, but I wasn't heeding her yet, right? 
A little while later, it would get a little escalated. She'd say, Bruce, Michael, come take out this trash. I'd think, well, that's getting pretty serious. Sometimes I'd listen, sometimes I wouldn't. But if she did all three, Bruce, Michael, Burkett, you get in here and take out this trash right now. Now, my mom didn't really scream like that, but you get the point. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? All right? If you get all the names, there's a whole different level of listening that needs to take place then, okay? I feel like we do that with God sometimes, too. We're reading the Bible on devotions one morning, and God speaks to our heart about something. And we think, yeah, I probably should do something with that. Maybe tomorrow. Close our Bible. Go on about our day. We go to Sunday school. Hear the same thing, and ah, I'll think about it. Hear a message preached about it. God's trying to speak to us, but we're not. We're hearing, but we're not really listening. We're not really, li we're not really doing what he's asking us to do. And what God is telling his people here and what he's still telling us today is that we need to get to a place where we really start listening to God again. Now, if you read the rest of the passage, the sad reality is the people of Judah did not listen to God. I wish I could say that Jeremiah stood and preached this message and they all got right with God and started going back in the right direction. That is not what happened. In fact, they kept doing wrong until they were eventually destroyed and carried off into captivity. And they experienced the end that a person comes to when they backslide from the Lord. But that doesn't have to be your story. The sad reality for Israel is that they eventually got to a place God had tried to speak to them. He had tried to knock on their heart's door and they kept being unwilling to listen, unwilling to do what he was telling them to do. And it eventually got to a place, listen to this, where God no longer had influence in their lives. Didn't matter what God said, they weren't listening. Didn't matter how loud God was calling, they weren't going to respond. And I'm afraid that so many believers allow themselves to get to that same place. They grieve the Holy Spirit of God. They quench the voice of the Spirit in their life so much to where when that subject's brought off, their mind just immediately gets turned off. God, you cannot have that area. And it is that kind of attitude that will lead you straight down the pathway of backsliding. So I want you to understand something today, church. God is calling us to go forward. To do nothing or to intentionally defy what God, you know God is calling you to do will only lead you on a pathway backwards. What is your choice going to be today?